Yes, my chains are gone, I am set free. This is really the message that the Apostle Paul is wanting to bring and to remind the church in Galatia or the churches in Galatia of the fact that their chains are gone or can be gone and that it is for freedom Christ has set us free. So we begin Galatians chapter 5 now. We're looking at this wonderful letter. We've come through the first four chapters and we're beginning this fifth chapter. Let me read some verses here from the fifth chapter beginning at, uh, at verse 1. If you have a Bible I'll just give you a second to open it up. We're looking at these early verses here as far really as verse 6. So our attention's upon verses 1 to 6 this morning. We read, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly wait through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcised nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word again this morning, this wonderful Galatian epistle. We began looking at this uh, chapter uh, last uh, week, looking at, uh, or rather a fortnight ago, looking at verse 1. Uh, which forms a bridge between what has happened before and what is happening now in this letter. In chapters 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul has been defending the gospel that he preaches, the true gospel, the only gospel. All of the gospels are, he tells us, no gospels at all. They're not good news because there's only one good news, that is a Saviour who saves us completely from our sins. So here in chapters 3 and 4, Paul is defending the gospel that he preaches. And he's defended it in a very profound way and a very inclusive way. And he's presented arguments to the Jews that should uh, enable them to understand the true meaning of the gospel and the true reason for the gospel and uh, here in chapter 5 the it forms it or ch chapter 5 verse 1 that first verse forms a bridge if you like between what he's been saying which is a presentation of the gospel and what he's doing now which is the way of uh, of the application of this gospel there he said in verse 1 it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, stand fast therefore and do not 
let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That is a bridge between the two sections, if you like, because he's been talking about the gospel. Now he's talking about the application, where they are going, the meaning of the gospel. And he's going to explain it more in chapter 5 and chapter 6. Now, Paul is making four points here in these uh, first six verses. Warning against sitting on the fence or and also returning to a dependence upon works and law to save or to supplement people's faith. So there are people who would become enamored by what Paul was saying. They would be enamored by his presentation of the gospel. They would say, well, isn't that wonderful? Uh, the way that Paul explains that and makes clear the gospel, and yet they don't do anything about it. They just uh, say, well, that was wonderful. They walk away. They don't make a decision for themselves. They don't accept Christ for themselves. And there are many people like that. They like the sound of the gospel. They, they know what the gospel says. They could explain the theology of the gospel because they've been brought up in a church that does that. But they never actually applied the gospel to themselves. They've never accepted Jesus for themselves. Now the question I want to ask you this morning is, you know, are you just those who are someone who is enamored with the gospel or is, are you someone who has actually done something about it and received Christ for yourself? So here Paul begins, uh, here um, he says, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you, if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Now here Paul stands up, as it were, on his to his full height. I don't think he was very tall. Uh, church history tells us he wasn't a very tall individual, but he stands up to his full spiritual height, if I can put it that way. He says, I, Paul, tell you. He's declaring himself, he's reminding them of who he is. He's reminding them he's the apostle to the Gentiles. And he's done that in the first two chapters. And if you have any, any doubt about who the Apostle Paul was, he tells you there in the first two chapters, he defends his position as an apostle. And, and, he's, and if there was anybody who understands the issues of grace and the issues of works, it was the Apostle Paul. There was nobody more Jewish than Paul or Saul as he was before his conversion. He was the most Jewish of all the disciples. He had the greatest pedigree, the best pedigree of all the disciples. The other disciples were brought from different trades and different, uh, different uh, vacations, vocations in life. But Paul was the one who was uh, a Pharisee. He was the one who was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was the one who had an impeccable uh, pedigree. He knew what it was to be a Jew. And he loved it as Saul of Tarsus. He uh, excelled above many of his own age. So extremely zealous was he for the traditions of his elders. He gloried in the Jewish faith. He gloried in the Old Testament. He gloried in the traditions of his elders. He loved it. Nobody loved it more. No one was more in love with the traditions and the Jewish faith than the Apostle Paul was. 
as Saul of Tarsus. But now, as Paul, he counts it all as rubbish. Or he counts it all as garbage for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus and being found in him, not having a righteousness of his own, but that which is through faith in Christ. Here was the Paul saying, I, Paul, in the first verse of the first chapter of this letter, he says, sent not from men nor by men, but by Jesus Christ. Listen to me, says Paul, listen to me because I am the spokesperson in this particular moment in time. I'm the spokesperson for God. I'm speaking on God's behalf. I'm telling you what God has to say to you. And of course, all scriptures inspired by God. Theonoustos, the God-breathed. Here we find a God-breathed statement that Paul is making. I, Paul, warn you, I, Paul, tell you, if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Now, circumcision represented a mark of God's covenant with Israel. We read it there in their Genesis chapter 17, but isn't it interesting that the Jews never understood that it was way back in Genesis chapter 17 that God introduces circumcision. He doesn't introduce it at the time of Moses. He introduces it at the time of Abraham and it related not to the covenant of works, but circumcision related to the covenant of grace. Because God was saying to Abraham, you believe what I tell you and it will be credited to you as righteousness. You believe that I will give you descendants. You believe that I will bless nations through you. You believe that I will send the Messiah and it will be credited to you as righteousness. He doesn't ask Abraham to do anything. He doesn't ask Abraham to uh, fulfill certain criteria. He says, believe me and I will credit to you as righteousness. And this will be the sign for you. It will be the sign of circumcision. So it didn't have anything to do with the Mosaic Covenant in the sense of it wasn't set out in the Mosaic Covenant. The Jews mistakenly associated circumcision with the Mosaic Covenant, insisting that circumcision was a condition of salvation under the temporary works covenant that God had put in place to protect and control God's people until the coming of Jesus. You see, the law of Moses was put in place to keep people safe. It was put in place to keep people in order. It was to stop them going off and uh, divulging, uh, behaving in a bad way in, in other nations and, and, uh, and, and mixing with other nations and becoming sick like other nations were. It was there to control them. But when Jesus came, the Bible tells us that God, when we become a Christian, the law of God is written on our hearts. We don't need it, the written word in that sense any longer because the word of God, the law of God is written on our hearts. As the Bible tells us, and to walk with thee is not grievous unto me. Why? Because I delight to do your will. You see, if you're a Christian, you delight to do God's will. You want to do what God wants you to do. You want to please Jesus. You want to honour Christ. All these things because of what he has done for you. If the Galatians received circumcision, believing that it added or enhanced their salvation, Paul warns them that Christ will be of no benefit to them because you can't mix Jesus with anything else. You can't mix Jesus with works. You can't mix Jesus with circumcision or, or any other of the ordinances. Jesus is the all-sufficient saviour. 
You can't add to Jesus in any way. He bared the sins in his own body upon that tree. He did it all himself upon that cross. He shed his blood for you and for me, the blood that cleanses us from sin. And he offers to clothe us in his own righteousness, fulfilling a perfect life of righteousness before God. He offers to clothe us in his own righteousness. He's done it all. There's nothing more to do. If you receive Christ as your Savior, you are saved for time and eternity, but not by anything you've done or anything you ever can do, but by the finished work of Christ. And you see, circumcision, it represents for us any number of ordinances that people trust in, whether it be child baptism or adult baptism, whether it be communion or last rites, they each represent uh, um, uh, the grace of God in various ways, but they can never be used as an illegalistic attempt to gain God's favor. We believe in not child baptism, but we believe in child dedication. We have children, and when children are young and they're babies, we, they come and uh, we pray for them, and we, the church prays for them, and we ask God's blessing upon them, and we... We pray that uh, their lives will, 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 be, uh, will be in service for Christ uh, in whatever way he wants. And we, well, that's good that we should do that. That's child dedication when it comes to adult baptism. We believe in adult baptism. We're hoping to have a, an adult baptism service quite soon here at the church. And we, you know, if you want to be baptized and you want to come talk to me about it, that, that's great. Adult baptism is right. It's good, it's proper, it's, as Jesus said, that uh, righteousness should be fulfilled. But it's not going to do anything for you in the way of salvation. It's not going to add to you salvation in any way. You don't go into the waters of baptism and come up saved. It doesn't save you in any way. It's an outward expression of that which takes place inwardly. You have died to, died to sin and you are raised to Christ and the adult baptism, uh, it, uh, it shows that. Communion, we come around the communion table. It's not a means of grace. Some churches say it's a means of grace and you need to come and you need to partake of the, these emblems in a way that it, it, it sort of adds to your salvation. It's a, it's a merit in some meritorious way. But it's not. Last rites. Some people believe that if they're not, if they don't get last rites, they don't go to heaven. Last rites do nothing. If you haven't made your decision in this life, you're not going to go to heaven. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your saviour now, don't expect some pastor to come and pray for you after you're dead. And well, you know, he maybe he changed. Can I can I change my can I change his mind for him right right here? That's not gonna that's not gonna happen. But you see, all these rites are accepted in some churches on some religious uh, denominations as if somehow they add as if they're a, a means of grace. They're not a, a means of grace. Just as circumcision was never a means of grace. The thief on the cross was never dedicated as a child. He was never baptized as an adult. He never enjoyed communion with Jesus. He never had any last rites. But Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Because he said, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingly power. Now, secondly, Paul reminds us again here in verse 3 of something he's reminded us already about. Trusting in circumcision the idea that trusting in circumcision, he said it requires the keeping of the whole law. 
he has made the point in chapter 3, verse 10 already. He says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 27. So here we find that, uh, here we find this, this picture, this, this situation here. We must, never, we must never assume, you know, that people are, are truly saved by attending church uh, or by fulfilling certain rituals. In, in a world so full of religion, in a world so full of philosophies that rely upon human effort, we, like Paul, must never tire of emphasizing that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Jesus, when he spoke the, about the law of God in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel. He makes clear that no one could possibly keep the law of God perfectly. He said if you sin with your eye, if you look at a woman with, uh, uh, in the wrong way, you commit adultery in, in your heart. If you're angry with someone in your heart, you already have uh, committed murder in your heart. He, he explains in so many ways that you can't you can't keep the law. It's not possible. No matter how you try, you cannot keep it. You're not hiding to nothing. All of us, from the day we're born, we begin to sin, we begin to fail, we begin to let God down. None of us are able to keep the law. Paul says, if you are going to rely upon the law, you have to keep the whole law. And no one can keep the whole law. And if you don't keep the whole law, you're cursed under that law. Now the Galatian churches, <clears throat> they were um, they were full of Christians, but also full of non-Christians as well. We don't know what the sort of percentage was, but Paul here addresses both groups here in this verse four in dramatic language, and I want to spend a moment or two looking at this rather dramatic language, warning that um, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated, alienated. Uh, now the word alienate there is the Greek word katagio, and it means to render or sever from Christ, as it were. Now this word katagio, it, it's used in um, Romans chapter 7, and it's used in order to explain the difference between uh, being under the law and being under grace. And the Apostle Paul, yeah, there in Romans chapter 7, he's talking about a, a woman or using the illustration of a woman. A woman who has um, had a husband and her husband dies. And when the husband dies, she is no longer subject to that husband any longer. She is able to be free, free from that marriage and free to marry again if she wants to. So she is severed in that sense. It's the same word, Katagio. She's severed from that husband. She's severed from that relationship and she's able to choose another husband or to live uh, without uh, fear of uh, if she wanted to choose another husband. And of course the Apostle Paul uses that in relation to law and grace. He says that, you know, if we die to Christ, it's like being, it's like being, if sorry, we die to, to the law rather, it's like being severed from the law in order to live to Christ. We're born again and we are able to live the new life. Now to the Christians, <clears throat> this was a warning to them 
the Christians, it was a warning for, to, for them to become, not to well, becoming separated from the life and the blessings of God. Um, it's a warning that they could be condemned to a life of worthless religious servitude if they're not careful. It's a warning that for them as Christians, being separated, was it's not possible to lose your salvation, it, 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 but it, it, it's possible to become separated from the life and the, and the blessings of God. That if they continued in that way, they went back, as it were, to the reliance upon the Old Testament, reliance upon the law, reliance upon legality, reliance upon rituals to save them themselves, or trying to add that to their Christian faith, they would end up being separated from the life and the blessings of God. They would be condemned, as I say, to a life of worthless religious servitude. Paul is anxious they should not be robbed of their rights to live freely for Christ in a in the full assurance of salvation. I've got a book on my bookshelf at home. You, you, you may have read it yourself. It's by F.F. F. Bruce. And uh, it's called Paul the Apostle of the Free Spirit. And uh, the thing about it is it's got a lovely cover. don't normally talk about dust covers on books, but this uh, book has a lovely dust cover. And the reason I mention it is because it's a, a picture of a sailing ship and it's sailing on the open sea. And uh, the wind is in the sail and it's, uh, it's a picture of freedom. And the reason uh, that it's on the cover is because it's a picture of the Apostle Paul's life. Uh, he was the apostle of the free spirit. He was the apostle who was uh, free to live now, having been under servitude to the law and having think that salvation was by keeping the law. Now he was free. And just as he says in this first verse of this fifth chapter of freedom, Christ has set us free, do not submit, submit again to the yoke of slavery. Now, this picture of, 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 of for the Christian is a, is a sad one because it, it means that you, 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 you don't get to, to, to live that free life. You don't get to, to be the person that God wants you to be. You, you live that worthless life under, under this idea that somehow you're get, trying to get to heaven by your own good works. And, and you lose the full assurance of salvation as well. This is, a, this is a great thing. If you, if you think that somehow that the world is going to save you or that somehow some religious ritual is going to save you, you are going, you're going to not be able to have an assurance of your salvation. Now, to the non-Christians, I've just been saying that it's to the Christians that he says that, but to the non-Christians in that same sentence, he's, it's a much more severe, a much more dire warning that he's giving to them. These are the... Judaizers who have never made a decision for Christ, but are simply adding Jesus or thinking they're able to add Jesus to their religion. You know, Jesus, that's nice. You know, we'll, we'll add him to our religion. That's what other religions do, don't they? They they, they don't exclude Jesus. They just they just add him to their religion. The the if you um. In Islam, they add Jesus to their religion. In other religions, most religions, they don't hate Jesus in the sense of, you know, oh, no, I don't want anything to do with it. Oh, we add him. We'll add him to, to, our, to our list of prophets, our list of nice people, our list of good men. We'll, we'll add him in that way, but we won't accept him as the exclusive saviour. And it's to this group that the... Apostle Paul is also addressing here in this statement uh, and with that, uh, with that Greek word, katagio. 
And he's addressing them from Hebrews chapter 6, if you like, because this is what he has to say to those who were not Christians. And they were trying to add Jesus to their religion. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, this is one of those scary passages, I think, in the whole of Scripture. He says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. Uh, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, uh, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance, to their loss, they are crucified, they have crucifying the Son of God all over again and are subjecting him to public disgrace. And that's a, that's a really scary warning to those who um, persist in insisting that salvation includes works because that's exactly what the writer in Hebrews, whether it was Paul or whether it was someone else, I believe it was the Apostle Paul, but other writers suggest that, it's the, 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 word, the name isn't put in, in, in the Hebrew letter, so we don't know who is actually writing. But of course, the truth is exactly the same. The warning is that there comes a time when you have an opportunity and that opportunity disappears. There comes a time when you've had the opportunity to be saved, you've had the opportunity to repent, and you haven't decided to do that. You've decided to continue in the same way. You've decided to believe you can get to heaven by your own good works, you've decided to reject Christ, there offers no opportunity, no, no chance then if you fall away to come back to repentance. Now I say that carefully because if it is that someone here is really worried <laughs> and you say, well I haven't accepted Jesus, I've turned him down, turned him down, turned him down, I want to accept him today, well you accept him today. Because as long as you have today, as long as it is today in your heart, today is a day of salvation. As long, Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. But the problem is that a lot of people, they get to the point where the gospel becomes so familiar, they no longer want it. Then their heart is no longer wrenched apart by the sight of Christ upon the cross of Calvary. They no longer believe that he died in their place because the Holy Spirit is no longer ministering to them. Do you know that only you can only come to Christ if the Holy Spirit draws you? You can't come when you want to. It'll, it, today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. In this meeting today, Jesus is here. And he wants to save you. He wants for you to be born again. He wants to be your all in all. But only if you are willing to accept him. That you can fall into this terrible category of Hebrews chapter 6. Where the opportunity passes by. There's a there's a a, 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 a little uh, hymn that goes almost persuaded Christ to believe almost persuaded Christ to believe, and it goes on to say almost but lost, almost but lost. That's a a terrible thing, isn't it? But there's another word in this uh, sentence that Paul gives here. He says here, "You have fallen away, you have fallen away." Now that word is. Ecrypto, crypto, sorry, ekpipto, from the from the Greek, and it means you have fallen away from grace. Now, now this speaks of those who have uh, lost their way, if you like, uh, as a ship without a rudder and running aground. 
Now, it's well illustrated in the book of Acts in chapter 27. Luke uses it, Dr. Luke uses it, writing the, uh, the book of Acts. He's describing here Paul's journey to Rome, and there's a, a, a great storm, and there's a danger that the ship is going to be uh, destroyed in the midst of the storm. And so here we pick up the story where the uh, sailors are making preparation to try to keep the ship together. We read this. They passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid that it would run aground. Now the Greek word there is ek, that same one, ek, pipto. Run aground onto quicksand, onto the sandbars of Sardis. And then in verse 23, last night, Paul is speaking to the crew and to the other passengers here now. Last night, an angel of God whom I belong to and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand trial before Caesar. Nevertheless, we must run aground. The Greek word again, ek pipto, we must run aground on some island. And then in verse 28, they took the soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it 90 feet deep, fearing that we would run, we would be dashed against the rocks. Again, they dropped uh, uh, four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. They also and, in, uh, and so we got this picture, if you like, in this word, Ecripto, of, of running aground, of, uh, of running to destruction, of, uh, of, of ending up on, on some sort of sandbar, if you like, in, in, from the point of view of, uh, of, the, of a sea description. It's also used by the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter verse 1, verse 20, 24. He says, all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. That word for fall is again ekpipto, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So here we have a picture of what the Apostle Paul is saying. The Greek language is very descriptive. He's talking really about shipwreck. He's talking about being shipwrecked. He's saying that you have fallen away, you're falling away into shipwreck. Lives floundering on the rocks of useless religion and pride. The precious cargo of talents and purpose and fellowship with Christ strewn upon those rocks of religion and pride. What a, a sad situation it is. We see young people, we see older people, and they're, they're just, their lives are just shipwrecked. And, and they're just, they're either on some sort of spiritual sandbar where they can't move forward or backwards. And uh, if you've ever been on a sandbar, it's a really strange experience. You're not actually damaging your boat, but you just can't get forward and you can't get back. Perhaps there's somebody here and you, you feel that way today. You can't move forward. You can't get back. You, you seem to be stuck. You're stuck because you're not looking to Christ. You're not looking to him. You're expecting. You're looking to yourself. You're looking at your mistakes and the things you've done. And it's not good news. Look to him. He's good news. You are bad news. I am bad news. When I look in myself, I can get really depressed. When I look to him, I never get depressed because he's always the same. Always perfect. First Timothy, Paul talking to young pastor Timothy in chapter 1 verse 18, he says, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made 
about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. Among them are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Shipwreck. These men had made shipwreck of their faith. What had God done through the Apostle Paul? They'd been handed over to Satan that they might learn not to blaspheme. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means that they were put out of the church. They were put back into the world. They would say, well, if that's the way you want to live, you, you see what the world has to offer you. And I would give that warning to anybody here today, and particularly to our young folk who are under such pressure today. You don't want to go there. You don't want to go down the world. You don't want to go back into the world. You don't want to separate your relationship from Christ because the world is not a good place for you as a Christian. The world is for the people who are in the world. The world is not for Christians. It's not for in and what I mean, and I don't mean that we don't live in the world and we don't work in the world and we don't associate with the world. What I mean is that we don't behave like the world and we don't go down a worldly worldly way. Because it, it's unhappy. If you if you if you are a Christian, you can never be happy in the world. You will be because Christ has ruined you, if I can put it in a nice way, to the world. You know better. You, you don't need to, uh, to, to, to sink into the gutter. You don't, you don't need to behave like the gutter. You don't, you don't need the morals of the world. If you do, believe me, it's a dark place. It's a dark place for a Christian. And you know, some of us have been there. It may be many years ago. But some of us can be there. And we can tell you it's a dark place. It's a dark place. And I, I say to Christians here today, don't, don't go down that road. Don't make shipwreck of your faith. Keep your eyes upon Jesus. Make him your all in all, because as long as you keep your eyes upon Jesus and choose him as your saviour, you will be safe from those sandbanks and those, the, the, those rocks and shrewd our way. There are, there are so many rocks in the pathway of Christians today. So many sandbanks that you can end up on if you're not careful. We need to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Paul here, in conclusion, offers the alternative to a life that is shipwrecked, a life that ends up on the sandbanks. He says, but by faith we eagerly await through the spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now that, that is real freedom. That is a picture of, on the jacket of that book that I was telling you about by F.F. F. Bruce. Paul the Apostle of the Free Spirit. It's a picture of the Christian life on the open sea with the, the sail in uh, full of, of wind. Uh, it's a picture of, of the freedom that Christ offers you. Spiritual freedom. Doesn't always mean life's going to go easy for you. Doesn't mean you're going to get all the money that you want. Doesn't mean you're always going to be in good health. Doesn't mean you're always going to find people around you are treating you the way you'd like them to treat you. But you're free. 
free to live and free to be all that Jesus wants you to be. We have a hope, the hymn writer puts, we have a hope that is steadfast and certain. Gone through the curtain and touching the throne. It's really taken from Hebrews chapter 6, 19. That chapter that has the bad news, but here's the good news of chapter 6, 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. There is nothing more secure than that. Nothing more certain than that. But you cannot have a hope if you believe it depends upon you. At any point or in any way. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he used to say, he said, if salvation depended upon me at any point and in any way, I would, I would mess it up. Because he understood what sin was. And it's the same for you and me. If you understand what sin was, if you understand the issues, you understand that there's no way that you could get yourself to heaven if any point it depended upon you. But it doesn't. Our hope isn't here. Our hope isn't here. Our hope is there. It's entered in beyond the veil and no one can touch it. If you believe that somehow that you can mess it up, if you can lose your salvation, Satan will torment you till the day you die with uncertainty. You cannot eagerly await the return of Christ if you feel that it's an uncertain event or an uncertainty for you. But it isn't. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear. But by faith we eagerly await, eagerly await the spirit of righteousness for which we hope. May God bless his word to our hearts. <clears throat> our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word and we pray, O oh God, that as you look down upon us as a congregation, you know our hearts. Lord, in the Galatian church, there were those who were Christians, those who weren't. Lord, we pray if there's anybody here and they've, they're not a Christian, Lord, that you would reveal that to them, you, that you would show them their, their situation outside of Christ. And Lord, that you would show them your open arms of love, those arms with hands, with nail prints in them, saying, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Lord, if there's anybody listening to this message this morning, anybody who's uncertain about their salvation, anybody who's depending upon themselves, anybody who's caught up looking at themselves and thinking, oh, have I done too much? Have I done this wrong, done that wrong? Father, Lord, help them to understand that you never turn anybody away. If we come when it is a day of salvation, we will always be accepted. And today is the day of salvation. Lord, for those of us who may be tempted just at times to go back into some sort of ritual, ritualistic behaviour and rely upon certain behaviours, Lord, forgive us. We repent before you today. We rely upon the cross. We glory in the cross, in the finished work of Christ. May we always glory, simply glory, in that finished work. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.